0: Kairos, this is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom, and we're not gonna bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you all, and thanks for joining us. This is the uh, launch of Vintage McCoy. It is our very first episode. as uh, Our tagline is, History Matters. And we are going to be educating America, especially the church, the ecclesia, on their responsibility in the public square. Uh, Andrew Andrew Breitbart used to say that um, uh, culture drives politics. And what we've forgotten in America is that the church is supposed to drive culture, and then culture will drive politics. Uh, People disdain politics because they say it's dirty, and and I understand that. It is. It's... it's, uh, it's, it's tough. I've, I've participated. I've, I've run in four elections. I've won three of them. I know how hard it is. I've served in office. I know how boring the meetings are. I know how long it is. I know how difficult government is. But it's still important. It's something that we must participate in, and it requires that Christians participate and understand what their role in all of it is. We've heard so many misunderstandings in America, especially in my lifetime. Simple statements like, you can't legislate morality. I can't think of a a more stupid statement than that. We're going to be discussing this in our program uh, this evening with a person that completely understands this because not only uh, could he preach in any pulpit in America and be the finest pastor as far as I'm concerned, he and his wife are uh, ministers par excellence. They are at the top of that. But more importantly, uh, this man and his wife have served this nation Congressman Bob McEwen served in the Ohio State Legislature for three terms and then went on to serve six terms in the United States Congress. He is a man that understands American history. He understands economics. But more importantly, he loves the Lord and he understands the church's calling and all of this that has been woefully neglected. And what I'm excited about in, in this season where it seems like we're all under the gun and there is persecution rising towards the church in America and censorship that is unfettered in the midst of it, what it seems to be doing, which is very healthy for a church, because persecution is to a church what wind is to seeds, it causes them to grow and and flourish and spread. Uh, this season has really started to define the church. Some folks have remained closed because they believe in accordance with Romans thirteen of unlimited submission, even at, even to tyrannical power, which, as we've covered in previous programs, uh, as Jonathan Mayhew, the great uh, preacher from uh, the 1700s. Actually, 1766 is when he, he went to be with the Lord. But he was the one that established an understanding that you do not have to submit to tyranny. Uh, obedience to tyranny is disobedience to God. And, and, uh, and, and then vice versa, disobedience to tyranny is obedience to God. And that started the American Revolution. And here you are today, 244 years enjoying the most free nation on the face of the earth. And we're watching Fundamental changes occurring, and there is a scripture that I wanted to put forward, and this is going to be the center point of our discussion tonight with Congressman McEwen. It's Psalm 11.3, and I've heard people use this countless times, especially depending on their eschatology. Eschatology means the study of the end times. Um, Calvary chapels are considered pre-trib, pre-millennial. There's post-trib, there's uh, all-trib. There's different camps of it. And and quite honestly, uh, millennial discussion and and eschatology in the church, uh, I always joke, I say that uh, the millennial reign is a thousand years of peace that Christians argue about. So uh, every eschatology comes with an asset and a liability. But the point is, if you use your eschatology as justification for apathy and not participating, you've got a problem. Because this is a government that, in a sense, with a noetic covenant, God wants us to participate, and to what extent? And and how did our founders understand that? And so with Psalm 11.3, folks use this as justification. They say this, and this is what the psalm says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? As though we're supposed to throw our hands up and lament and be uh, just kind of finished with it all, and then go get our canned goods uh, our our... Uh, Our property in Montana that has a gate with our AR-15s and just wait for the rapture. I'm sorry, that's not what the Lord intended ever. Uh, You see, if you love your neighbor, you're going to participate in those policies that will bring life and hope. Because Galatians 3 says that the law is a school teacher, it's a guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes. And we have to participate in that public square. We'll cover more of that, I don't want to go through it because... Together with this mind of the man you're about to see, I, I just want to say this. With our inaugural launch of Vintage McCoy, it's fitting that he would be our first guest because, candidly, candidly speaking, everything I know began with this man. I, I, I have ripped him off, but he has graciously given me the opportunity to do that. I, I give him credit as much as I can, but I find that when I'm saying things, it's, it's his voice in my head. He is one of those men that gave me a roadmap to understand in the ministry how critical participating in the public square was. He motivated me to run. He's he's my hero. I love this man. And I can't think of a better person for our first program on Vintage McCoy. Please welcome the Honorable Bob McEwen. Hey brother,
1: how are you? Oh my goodness, Rob, such a introduction. production. I feel, uh, I, I'm an admirer of yours just as everyone watching this program is. And we uh, respect and appreciate what you're doing certainly respond to remember that Winston Churchill said about it, one of his predecessors, he said, he was cursed to have lived in uninteresting times. And certainly we are not so cursed. No. And at the, at the critical moment, it's important that we be able to grab a hold of what is solid and what is principled, and you're doing it, and I'm honored to be with
0: you. Oh, Bob, you, you bless me. And, and I, I, there's so much that we're going to cover uh, tonight And when I started with that Psalm 11.3, if the the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we're watching as a a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. Seven articles of a U.S. Constitution established in 1787 put forward and signed a Declaration of Independence, our birth certificate, 244 years old. That allows us to be the sovereign in the nation, we the people, which is the preamble to the Constitution, the, the, the sovereign, the, the leader of the nation is, is defined in those first three words, the people. And then the legislators and those in government governed by our consent and their power is on loan. So we're the authority and they're the ones that operate in the constraints of those articles. And if they step out of them, we're told in our birth certificate, it's our right and our duty to push back. And as you know, I resigned from my seat on the council when the governor of the state said that the church was non essential, which was a complete violation of the First Amendment. And, and I, I, I knew I'd be censured by a council of people I, I adore, but I, I knew they didn't understand the principle behind it. And I could not sit idly by as these council members, who are legislators in a, in a sense in our own city, would, would lose sight of the fact that the church, from the founders' understanding, was critical. to to moral law that would then go into civil law. And then we go into this pandemic and churches are shuttered and they have submitted to this tyranny and they don't believe their role is to contend with the tyranny of the violation of these these governmental constraints. And now we're watching other churches awaken to their responsibility in the public square. What's your take on all of that?
1: Well, it, it certainly is. Everything requires leadership. Nothing happens without a leader. And uh, what you've done is begin the cascade. People begin to waken up to the very idea of what you just said. That if Hitler had landed in New York City, said, I want every church in America closed, or if Stalin walked down Pennsylvania Avenue and said, we're going to close every church in America. why well, we would have been up in arms. Absolutely not. We were founded upon the principle, the fact that, that we could worship God according to our country. You can't steal that from us. But uh, there's a thing called fear. And uh, that was the way that, that Hitler convinced people that they would move the Jews to a section of town and, and in order to protect them. And you had to wear the yellow star so that the police could know who to protect. And then they, they were able to control them to the point of even loading them on box cars because they were going to take them to a safe place. And people then under spirit of fear, they don't have a sound mind, they give up things. What we've seen in, that, in these last few months is something we've perhaps never seen before in our history, and that is that people voluntarily, you take the three largest churches in America, where the pastors voluntarily say, I don't even know if we're going to open up for another year. In other words, uh, it's really not important what I, what we do, and that is at our convenience, and as long as everyone agrees, then we're going to invite people back to the Lord's house. That uh, That is a is a pathway for disaster. This nation was founded upon one of two major worldviews. And that is that our rights come from God or they come from man and therefore they come under power. The reason that America trusted around the globe is because America is righteous. It is based upon righteousness. That is that if a ship is attacked on the high seas, we will treat them fairly. We won't steal their goods. And so they can appeal just as the British in the Straits of Hormuz when their, when their tanker was attacked by the Iranian, they could appeal to the United States Navy for protection. America is the standard of righteousness because it was based upon the ultimate principle of right and wrong, which is scripture. And so when we, uh, uh, if we abandon that, then the only thing left is power. And that's what the Chinese want to have. They want to have power. To control the Pacific and elsewhere, so all of this is is, uh, is vulnerable at the moment. People are looking for what is right, what made America different, and uh, we have had too many people that didn't understand it. And so I, I take heart that under the leadership of yourself and and many others that are continuing like a throng together at your side across the nation, this this genuine uprising of people that would say. What is the standard and principle for America's functioning? And that is, it isn't power. It's because God said certain things are right and wrong. And, and I, I see and I feel this awakening that, that I, I have to, to rejoice. I just uh, refer to to Yamamoto when when he was at, when the Amer- American Pacific Fleet was destroyed. And his observation was, I fear we have awakened uh, when the Japanese had bombed. He said, I fear we have awakened a sleeping giant and filled him with great resolve. And I see what's happening is that that, uh, just a few months ago, people were voluntarily closing the church doors and and taking orders just at at a whim. And the state legislatures that are meeting now at the beginning of this year of 2021 across the board, they're saying governors don't have this authority for these emergency powers. They must come back to the representatives of the people. We see a a reawakening of American greatness. And I am... I'm optimistic about what's about to happen. I'm
0: noticing that there's a division in the body of Christ throughout churches, that there are those like there were in Nazi Germany, or there were those uh, in in the founding of our nation, which they called loyalists, uh, Tories. And and when we had Jonathan Mayhew, who looked at Romans 13, which if if you go on the website of anyone talking about their COVID-19 protocols in their church, uh, they're basically stating that we're submitting to the government based on Romans 13, and it's in their protocols uh, on their website, we've investigated it, of these churches that remain closed under these tyrannical orders. And, and based on that, they're using Romans 13. Well, that is the most abused verse. And if you go back into the history of our country, it was Jonathan Mayhew who said, look, if it, Romans 13, the authority is to govern for our good. If they don't do good, they're no longer the authority. If the king becomes a tyrant, he loses his ability to be the king. And <clears throat> what I point out as well is he only, I think he died in 1766, so he, he never even saw the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the American Revolution, although he started it from the pulpits with that understanding of pushing back against tyranny, which is enslavement and overreach of government. But, but what he, he never got the chance to see that all of us get to see is that regardless of how you look at Romans 13, when it says that all authorities are appointed by God and that we're to submit to those authorities, well, the cool thing now, in a constitutional republic, the authority in Romans 13 is the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution. We, the people. And, and, and these, these government officials operate by our consent and their power is on loan and they're con- constrained by the articles of the Constitution and those amendments and the, that Bill of Rights. And when they violate it, it says in our birth certificate that it's our responsibility, our duty, and our right to push back. Is that? Am I off on that? Or
1: 100% correct? And, and let's take the spiritual aspect of it. Is that, that Satan is slick? He knows how to sell. And so, if a person's heart is open to the Lord, then he's not going to come at by by attacking uh, biblical principles. He's going to use them and twist them just a bit. As I say, we see with this. Uh, uh, race theory and all these things that are taking so much of the Southern Baptists and taking over the pulpits, in which they're talking about racism and and uh, sexism and all—all all those things are good, but you'll notice that they're not on target as to what God says. That that doesn't cleanse and change hearts. That doesn't cleanse from sin. Only the blood of Christ does that. And so they want to talk about anything other than what really matters. So when Satan comes to Eve. He says hath God said and he knows how to twist it just a little bit and if you've heard me say you take off from New York for London and you're only one degree off you end up in Paris because when you're not focused on where you're supposed to be and as long as he can get us when he took Christ up onto the up onto the pinnacle and had him look over the over uh, the country he said I can give all these things to you He, he is able to use portions of scripture Use them erroneously, but it's enough that the average person, if he doesn't focus, as you just did, on what God truly said. Now Christ came back by quoting Scripture to him when when he tried to make the the offers to 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 uh, mislead him. So what we need to do is, when these folks think that they're quoting Scripture, we need to look at what is the underlying truth. And the truth is exactly as you said, that is that throughout history there was a belief that God gave power to government and government loaned power to people. And so therefore God set up Kings and took down Kings. And we had to go through the Kings and, and that the government gave us certain rights and, and that the, the, the divine right of Kings was because God had chosen them. Now, when, once they translated, as you mentioned, they translated the scriptures and people could read it for themselves. They began to say, Oh, I'm not so sure. That's not what that says. That says that I, at the foot of the cross, go directly to Christ myself. I go to God myself. There's no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. So therefore, I don't have to go through. And that began a reformation as to who we are in Christ. Now, once that began yeah. to happen, there was an explosion in, in art and in culture and in music and just on and on and on. Our, our architecture and invention And then uh, some of the kings, the divine right of the kings that were here because God had appointed their bloodline and they were to be the king, uh, they began to see if you're reading that and they think that they can go directly to God for their salvation, it's only gonna be a matter of time until they can go directly to God for government and they're not gonna need us. And brother, that that was what made America different. The people came to America and said that God gave power to people and people give power to government. And That's nobody right. else did it that way. That was the distinctive difference. And what you're quoting is that we the people, God gave power to you and to me. And we together, we the people, we form a government so that people don't drive on both sides of the street. And so that, so that if you go up in an elevator, it's, it's sound and not good, the building's not gonna fall over. We collectively do the things that we want government to do, but it's all because they work for us not because we work for them. Let's go back to the original. And the way that it always was, that we had to do what the king said. If a person came walking up to a house and he wanted to come in and sleep in your home, and he said, in the name of the sovereign king, I hereby, and who he would just come in and take over your home. It, it had been that way for, for thousands of years. And so if you read the third amendment, you got the first amendment, the freedom of religion and assembly and speech, Number two is the right to protect it with your arms. And number three is that government can't enter your home. And You cannot be forced to quarter troops. This was the idea that we're the boss. We don't need to take, I don't care who you represent. This is my home and we're, and we're the people in charge. That's what made America. Four percent of the population of the world are books, plays, symphonies, copyrights, inventions more than the other 96 percent combined.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was... I was moved by that idea that you began with talking about the divine right of kings. And it is true that God worked with kings in the Old Testament. But let's not forget that when when Samuel said the people want a king, he said, they're not angry at you. They just don't want me, Samuel. And he goes, just tell them what they're going to get when they get a king. They're going to get taxes. They're going to take the best of their fields. They're going to mess with them. And, 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 And yet prior to that, we noticed that in the wilderness, it was Jethro who said to Moses, appoint godly men who are not covetous over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You still had a representative form of government, even in the wilderness. And I, Isaiah would declare that the, the Lord is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge. And, and we get the three parts of government in relation to that. And he, and he lays out this understanding of, of the moral law. And, and I've, been, I've been sharing this because for me it was, it was eye, eye-opening because for my entire Christian walk, I was told the law in the Old Testament was only there to show me I couldn't keep it and I needed to be saved by grace through faith. That there was nothing that pertained to anything about today back in the Levitical law. It just didn't matter. Now you would teach it and you'd look for types of Christ and look for things like that application as you're teaching the whole counsel of God. But when you started to realize that three to five million Jews enslaved are set free and and then they're in debauchery in the wilderness and Moses comes down with that downloaded moral app. First four commandments of the Decalogue is relationship with God. Second, The the other six are relationship to each other. And and the commandment from God in Deuteronomy is that this should be in your heart and be taught to your children. And it becomes the center of the community. And here's the, the coolest thing. These 3 to 5 million people lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had moral law. Now, moral law, as we see as it goes into into Leviticus and and all the civil laws that are established, moral law begins and then civil law is an expression of that moral law. And, And so you start to work out how to live together. What is private property? What does immigration look like? How do we operate transportation? How do we set up a city? What are the, the, the health codes supposed to be? And, and, and then somewhere along the line, the church got infiltrated with this idea, probably infused by secular progressives, that you don't talk about religion or politics, and the church is not supposed to participate in politics, and the pulpits in America say, I don't do politics. And, and, and I'll leave you with this last thought, and please just go where you feel. Um, I'm, I'm frustrated, Bob, because I hear these pastors say, I'm not political. And that's not true. They are political. They just choose not to admit it. They say, look, we don't, we don't open our church, but we have a homeless ministry. We don't open our church, but we have a food bank. We want to protect our community as though somehow we don't. And we're yielding to these government authorities based on Romans 13, even though it's a violation of the government itself and its tyranny and I look at them and I say, you are political. You're choosing to be complicit with tyranny. And your ministry of helping the homeless and the drug addicted, you're fishing downstream to collect the human waste and heartache that you help create by your silence of not stepping in to apply moral law and civil law and, and holding that governor accountable. So they are political.
1: Oh, Rob, that is absolutely 100% correct. That is uh, that... You see the pollution upstream, and then you come in and you act as though you're competitive because you're helping these people as they're dying and as they're cramping and as they're passing away. But you say, I don't get involved in cleaning up the stream. I'm not I'm not gonna go get involved in that. I'm just I'm the one that feeds them as they're dying. I'm the one that holds them as, as they're vomiting. Well that that you weren't called just to do that. You were called to point to the to what is right. You know, we, we talked about this LGBT thing. You know, by sexual. Now, the scripture says, the scripture says you can, shan, cannot, should not commit adultery. Well, you you can't have have the, these things if unless you're committing adultery. Now, downstream from adultery comes all of these this ramifications. Now, if the church preaches upstream that this is the way that you're going to have a, a successful marriage. In a happy time, and going to be progressive, then you can then and uh, uh, not not have, have the consequences that come later on. I was thinking particularly of the uh, um, the adversary that is we are in this battle, and for those that stand in the pulpit and say that they are delighted at the fact that they don't engage, that they. Cheer people up, and they say encouraging things. Nothing wrong with any of that, but that is not what builds a relationship, and security, and peace in person a person's heart. My my wife uh, made an observation. Doctor Laura, you know, people would call in and say, "Here's the problem with with this." And finally, we've been listening uh, for a few days. We were driving and listening for an extended period, and finally, she said, "Realized something." I said, "What is that?" He said every single call, hour after hour after hour, every single call is a byproduct of having relations outside of marriage. Yeah. If they just did God's way, all these other struggles with with uh, would clear themselves up. So exactly what you said, God God gave us this as a pattern to follow, and that's what our nation chose to do if we abandon it. The consequences, the scriptures are filled with it, so are the history books. I,
0: I, when, when you break God's law, that law will break you ultimately. That, that's why we have the highest number of opioid overdose deaths in recorded history in the United States of America during this season. And, and, and we're watching these social barometers adversely affected by bad laws, civil laws, because of the absence of moral laws, because a church refuses to engage in the public square, because they don't do politics, they don't speak to power, and they have relegated the church to just simply, uh, the, the my, they, they've caused the gospel to be myopic and truncated, that it's just simply for the individual to be uh, cleansed of their sin and forgiven and have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and they, they will go as far as to counsel on married couples, But they do not speak beyond that as far as the community, as far as education, school board, uh, city council, uh, uh, any of these. They just abdicate their responsibility even though the Lord said make disciples. And the word when he said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, which translates public square assembly. It was what the Greeks participated in. Jesus co-opted a secular term. He didn't say synagogue, he didn't say temple. He said ecclesia. And that was operating in Greece hundreds of years before Jesus used that word. And above the door of each ecclesia was isonomia and Eleutheria, which is liberty and equality. And so we've always been responsible for moral law and civil law, but we have truncated the gospel and, and, and we've made it about conversion instead of discipleship.
1: And then, and, I, and I, I, yeah.
0: Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, 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 my train of thought will come back.
1: Well, I, I was thinking that in the process of people do not know why these things were successful and they think that they can abandon them. And it, won't, it won't happen. You know, uh, Churchill, again, a, asked, a young person asking, what should I do to prepare for government? He said, study history, study history, study history, for in it you will find all of the secrets of statecraft. In other words, we've been through this before. And that's, that's what the purpose of the Old Testament was to show that when you do this, this is the consequence. But then they, a new generation came along and they, they had to, to teach it all over again. The reason that Alzheimer's is such a horrible, horrible disease is because a person loses their memory. And, you know, if, if a person is dying of cancer, uh, you can sit by the bed and you can hold their hand and you, you can, you can uh, express your love and affection gratitude for their life and all that. And all of those things are, are terrible, but Alzheimer's is so extremely difficult because you can sit there with a person who you love with all of your heart, can be your child, and yet he or she doesn't know who you are. the, right. the their tragedy when, when you lose one's memory. Now, if we do not read history, if we do not understand history, then we, we do not know who we are. And, and if you don't know who you are, then you don't know where you're going that's why there's been a de- deliberate effort to, to have these folks and that's why our, our, those dear pastors, they don't understand how, they, how this nation got to where it was, that it was the spiritual underpinning of the entire culture that, that made it peaceful that you could leave your bicycle in a, in a person's yard for two days and nobody cared. You leave your doors unlocked. You could walk peaceably down the street. That was the responsibility of the church. And when the church says, I'm not involved in any of that, I'm not gonna, I am not going i do not care. What happens to the schools? I don't care what they're being taught, and what happens to young people. I'm just going to focus on 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 what I do. When they when 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 Satan, who is slick, convinced them that that was somehow noble. Once they begin to do that, then then we, we see the consequences. That's why we must go go back to the former things. Let's see what what did God say about this? And here's the great thing about it: that whenever it's applied at any stage of a marriage or a personal life or in the life of an it always restores, and it actually can restore very rapidly. So this yeah. is a moment in which we can grasp it.
0: I love that because some of the pastors, when they've been caught up in the sixteen nineteen project, they probably they're, they're byproducts of the public school system. They don't know America's history. They've never visited these things. They're being you know indoctrinated or inculcated with these ideas of critical race theory, and and they they're loving people. Uh, they they genuinely want to care. They've read the scriptures but through the lens of of an idea that somehow socialism is in the Scriptures, even though it's a violation of two of the Ten Commandments, and and because of their their lack of understanding of of how to govern and thinking that it doesn't apply or is anywhere in the Scriptures and their avoidance of these civil law books in the Bible, they're, they're positioned to be conned. And, and you're, watch, you're, you're watching him put these black tiles up and jumping into critical race theory and, and, and abandoning, interestingly enough, I'm watching this because we, we, we saw with a very famous Christian music artist who embraced uh, the, the senator, senatorial candidate, now senator, who is a reverend, who is pro-choice, and he's embracing him, uh, two black Americans, and, and endorsing him for that office, which he ended up winning. And I'm looking at this Christian artist, and I'm thinking to myself, one million babies a year are torn apart and flushed into the sewer systems of our nation, and 340,000 of those are black children, and the black birth rate in America has flatlined. It's 13%, and and 4% of, of that entire population of America, black, child-bearing females, is responsible for close to 40% of, of those abortions. And, and you, you look at those numbers and you think to yourself, this is a holocaust on the black community, and they think that black lives matter, but they are promoting a party that believes that that child should be just eviscerated all the way up to the very last minute. And if it's born alive, they still vote to let it die. and And this is a non-negotiable for God. This isn't even... This is this you can't even find in scripture and they and they use, interestingly enough, they push back on you when you start to defend Black Lives Matter, that the the black children in the womb matter. They push back. And one of one of the things they always say to me is, you know, the pro-life people only care about children when they're in the womb, not out of the womb, which, Bob, you've adopted. I've adopted. So uh, that doesn't work with me. But I want to read this to you, and I pray it ministers to you. My daughter wrote it, and and I, I I was touched by it. You tell me what you think. She said, last spring, I had the opportunity to go to London with my mother. One evening, we found ourselves in a pub and had struck up a conversation with our delightfully charming waiter. We each took turns exchanging bits about who we were, where we came from, and just how we all happened to find ourselves in that little place. We shared that we were visiting from the United States, and he shared that he was from Russia, And that he was working there on a visa. Myself and my mother excitedly rattled back a bit of Russian we knew. His eyes lit up and he asked where we had picked it up. And we shared with him that we had adopted my beloved sister, my mother's most precious third daughter, Natasha, from Russia when she was 13. Till this day, it's difficult to recall a time I've seen someone so at a loss for words. He began to tell us, and this is what moves me, Bob. He said, she said, He began to tell us how much he loves Americans because it is Americans who adopt, how Americans seem to be the only people that do that. I've thought about that a lot. I have specifically thought about it in context of abortion. Oftentimes, you will see people making a defense for abortion rattle off a remark of sweeping generalizations like, all you conservatives are pro-life until the baby is born, or all you Christian evangelicals are pro-life until the baby is born. There are 400,000 children in the foster care system, and all of you are silent about them. And by the way, my daughter is a foster parent. As she almost finished, she says, The intent of these remarks is to make you feel guilty and dissuade you from standing firm in your position of defense for the life of the unborn children. The reality is it shouldn't. According to adoption.org, the global weight adoption efforts rest on the shoulders of 2% of American adoptive parents. And when it comes to practicing Christians, they are more than twice as likely to adopt than compared to 26% of adults. Next time you're sharing why you stand for life and someone tries to tell you that you don't, remember, uh, remind them of the facts. Tell them we do care and actually do lead the world in striving for children in need of a family. Then ask them how they are standing up for those children they claim to care so much about and challenge them to instead think about taking action to help those children succeed in life instead of advocating for no life for them whatsoever. It is our unique foundational principles that set us apart from the rest of the world as a nation and a people that welcomes others and reaches out to the rest of humanity. I'll add this, that when we were in the embassy in Russia... I could have never been more proud to be an American. It was filled with Americans taking care of kids that were neglected at great expense to themselves. And, and I just, you know, you're right. This moral foundation, this light of the world, and, and, it, and it requires the churches not to abdicate that responsibility, but to step up.
1: And, and exactly what you said, they have no idea that who cares for the babies who, who does the crisis pregnancy centers? Who cares for, for, the, for the mothers? Uh, it's it's the Christians that care very very deeply. Not the ones that say throw them away and just forget it. They they care at every stage. The fact is that because anyone who is involved in a in a Christian community in a church community, uh, they're aware that that's the case. And and every one that we know, we have a very close friend at this moment who is in Thailand. Uh, getting a child that because of COVID has taken a year delay and all that everybody's been praying every day that it could, it could come about Americans. If those babies can just live, they they, they say that, uh, that, that that people don't care when a, when a baby is found in a trash can, it's the newspapers and the, and the hospitals have agreed. They won't tell where that baby is because in America, that baby will, that, hospital will be inundated with couples coming to try to adopt that baby. It just, there are thousands, tens of thousands, all the time. They're trying to save those babies' lives. And so anyone that says that uh, is it's 180 degrees off because they're, that's the way, perhaps the way they feel that they really don't, they, they want to get rid of the child because then they think that it won't be a responsibility that they'll have to face. And they then take that and transfer it to those of us who are privileged to be adoptive parents and to know tens of thousands that a vast percentage of our friends who've been privileged to, to do the same thing. And, and when, when we focus on life, I know that there are those that say, well, you know, can't you get off of that? Well, let me just tell you very simply, you have to understand nothing else matters. You understand everything is downstream from that. That's right. A, a, as I say, a, a politician who will take innocent life will not hesitate to take your liberty. I mean, th- this is not complicated. If, if you won't protect life, then you won't protect anything else. And so therefore, when a person comes along, and, and well, I, you know, this is a little bit unfair. The first time we met our, our son-in-law, and our daughter finally got up enough nerve to uh, introduce her to her, her mother over Skype. And so as they're watching, and my my wife just simply said, Who did you vote for in the last election? And of course, my daughter got all distressed and everything. Like, but she's been around people to know that there's a value system here. And there would be it would tell we would learn a lot more just from this simple question than by going through 30 or four more questions. A politician that doesn't respect life, then I can tell you where he stands on ninety other things. Because right. if you believe that God gave us life, then you believe the rights come that. The rights come from power, and I have the power to tell you when to cover your face, when you can speak, when you can get up. All of us have told our children nothing good happens after midnight, be home by midnight, except in the state of Ohio. The governor said you must be in bed by 10 o'clock. The idea that that our tyranny can come, which is downstream from the idea that God who gave us life, as Thomas Jefferson said, gave us liberty at the same time, and that we begin. America has three things. The first is life and then liberty. So you're exactly correct.
0: Let's, let's kind of, cl- I, I know you've got lots to do tonight, and I, I want to close, since you brought up the founders, I want to I wanna take a, a look at two quotes. Because, um, you know, we're, we uh, have this program, and sometimes we have guests where we have to, re- we, we can't say specific words because we know that our video will be removed. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never seen this, it's unprecedented censorship in my lifetime and probably in the history of the country. It's, 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 right. it, it's very troubling. Benjamin Franklin, let's begin with him, because speech is really in question here. And we just saw the, the attempt to in, uh, impeach the president uh, or whatever they wanted to bring up charges against him. And, and they doctored the evidence. They were caught red-handed and, and were watching that they're allowed to do certain things to incite riot or whatever. Their speech is legitimate, but this person's speech is not. You have Alan Dershowitz who comes out and said that there's nothing inciting in that speech. It's defended in America. And this is what Benjamin Franklin said. And maybe you can go from there in relation to what we've just experienced with the Senate and all that. Benjamin Franklin said, Freedom of speech is a principal pillar of a free government. When this support is taken away, the constitution of a free society is dissolved and tyranny is erected in its
1: ruins. That's exactly correct. Uh, if, if there has to be a standard of right and wrong, there has to be a standard of truth. If you we're building a house together and you have a 15 inch ruler and I have a 10 inch ruler, somebody else has a 12 inch ruler, there's only going to be chaos. If it if functions only upon what I think is right, in order for me to get power, there's a term for that and it's called tyranny you and I cannot have justice under that situation. That's why we have the courts and the courts have a standard that you if you lie to the court, the, the entire case is dismissed. Uh, it's called, is called a a mistrial. Why? Because you said something to us that you knew wasn't true. You're gonna be sanctioned, Your Honor. The, the, the counsel is gonna be sanctioned. And if we, we're either gonna throw this case out or at least we're gonna start over again. And you heard the, the, the president's counsel as he said, as he sat there and watched the representatives from the House of Rep- Representatives appointed by, by Mrs. Pelosi, in which they lied and then they lied and then they lied about things, even to the point where they, they made up these these tweets that didn't exist. Uh, and, and it was all very carefully done, where they took words where somebody said something, overlaid it with another picture, as done graphically in Hollywood, and let me tell you why that is, Rob. That presentation that they played on nationwide television in the Senate, in which none of the rules of right or wrong under the court uh, apply. It was not a courtroom. It was a political uh, uh, star chamber in which they were going to humiliate the president, and they set what the rules were. So the person presiding had already said horrible, nasty things about about the president and he decided what could be presented. They put this video together in which they made a wrong presentation. Why? Because they're going to put it on Netflix. They're gonna show it in the schoolrooms. They're gonna use it for the next four years in order to gain political power. Now that can't happen in a courtroom. That can't happen under the rules of justice. But yet we saw what was done here was done for particular political purposes to gain power. We are in a very dangerous zone in which these people need to be held accountable. And uh, I know there are probably certain words that we would want to avoid, but let us simply say this, that one political party, every member of the House, every member of the Senate of that political party voted to do this uh, in the final hours of, of the president's term to impeach for no reason, to make a charge that they knew wasn't wasn't fair, and then they have the Speaker of the House boast that that it's, it's there on the books forever, it's there forever, in an effort to subvert the "We the People" form of government, where we could choose our leaders, and they they have done this for the purpose of they're trying to prevent, and they're not done yet. They're going to try to prevent uh, their opponent from running for office again, and that uh, that is uh, that's evil and is wrong and it's anything that we've ever experienced in politics, I think we need to be aware of it and we need to aggressively attack it. because We are right at the end of an abyss.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, this is Thomas Jefferson in regards to the suppression of truth, which is what we've seen. Uh, you know, the, the uh, truth is uh, a, a lie is afraid of the truth, but, it, but the truth isn't afraid of anything. That's right. And and Thomas Jefferson wrote that truth is great and will prevail if left to herself that she is the proper and sufficient antagonist to error and has nothing to fear from the conflict unless by human interposition disarmed of her natural weapons free argument and debate. And so the reason why they censor is because their arguments won't hold up. What are they afraid of? Well, I'll tell you what they're afraid of. They, they know that their arguments won't hold up and they cannot operate in a world of words, and so they
1: censor. And only the left burns books. Yep. Only the left shouts down speakers. Uh, the fear, truth does not fear error. Error cannot tolerate truth. We'll talk about that again in some future broadcast. But error has to destroy truth, they have to censor. They have to take the president of the United States and shut him off from any form of communication because the only way they can present error is if they prevent the presentation of truth. And as you've heard me say, that uh, you can pray at an inaugural and you can pray in the name of mother earth and you can pray in the the name of eagle feathers or you can pray in the name of what you want. But if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ There will be an eruption. There'll be letters to the editor, and there'll be charges, and there'll be a pause, on and on and on. Why? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when when truth is presented, error is is destroyed because truth overcomes error. So as long as we're praying about, about Mother Earth, then that's erroneous because there is no power in Mother Earth. And so error isn't threatened by that or any myriad of others, you can quote, I can pray in the name of any great philosopher in the history of mankind. No one probably would object. And, and Peter the Great, or, or Alexander the Great, you name it at all, no one would object. But if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, rather there is a genuine reaction because for yeah. tolerate truth.
0: History's hard to avoid. I mean, you know, you, you, we've got 6,000 years of recorded history, and all these things that they're trying to thrust on us have already been tried, and they're in the ash heap of history as failures. And, uh, you know, they're giving us socialism, leading towards oligarchy, any, any type of ism, which is the few ruling the many. And it's, it's the same, you know, pile of dog dew, but this time they put sprinkles on it. You know, it, they're just trying to rebrand it. And uh, we've we've seen this before, but America has to wake up. and, And I'll close with this. The building block of culture and society that will allow us to rebuild the foundations must be that mothers and fathers commit themselves to the education of their children because they've been entrusted, they're stewards. Those children don't belong to the state. Start teaching them in the way that they should go because if the state can destroy the family... They will dominate the culture because they can indoctrinate. Parents can educate. The, the the those that seek power would want to take our children to indoctrinate. Two plus two is whatever you want to be. There's not two genders. There's you know infinite amount of genders. But that doesn't it doesn't matter. That's what I said. The sky is blue. No, well, no, it's red. They they can indoctrinate. They they have the authority, and parents must push back. And I love. What G.K. Chesterton wrote. He said, hardly anybody dares to defend the family. The world around us has accepted a social system which denies the family. It will sometimes help the child in spite of the family, the mother in spite of the family, the grandfather in spite of the family, but it will not help the family. The government loves to tear the family apart, they don't want a nuclear family. They don't want any of that protection. They want those children open for their indoctrination. And I would just say to the families in America, especially now that you've gotten a taste for homeschooling, get good at it. And uh, take the education from amazing men like you, Bob, and Hillsdale College with all their studies on the Constitution and American history. Where else would you encourage people? What what books would you want them to read as we close out our our program tonight?
1: Well, let let me just add what you said about the family, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, they brag, uh, the, the leaders of that uh, boast that their number one concern is to do away with the nuclear family. Yep. And they want to do away with, with a father uh, at the head of the family, they want to do away with families. And so therefore, whenever you see a basketball team owner, the owner of a basketball gymnasium, uh, anyone who is, it puts in their front yard the Black Lives Matter uh, symbol, that is because they have signed on to this idea that the American nuclear family of where the parents are responsible and accountable for the children, that they have chosen to abandon that and destroy it. And that is a very, very, very dangerous thing. So there are, are just so much opportunity. Uh, I under, Let me just say I homeschooled and, and we could talk about it uh, at another time. But I'll just, I just remember this one time that, that I was working with my son and we were doing some math and I could sense the tension just rising up and, and I put my hand on his arm and I looked at him, and I said, Robert, Robert, I said, don't worry. If we don't get this today, we'll get it tomorrow. If we don't get it tomorrow, we'll get it next week. And you could just feel the tension going out of, out of his body. You, you know, the, the great masters of Europe are taught, the, the, the heads of Europe, uh, in the monarchies we're all taught for two hours a day with a master a teacher. It's not as complicated as they think. And don't get discouraged by that. It doesn't have to be eight hours a day. And, and you don't have to go put them through the, the turmoil of people abusing them in the, in the restrooms and in the halls. But what they can if you bond with your child for an hour or two a day, it, 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 it's something that as you said, that we've now opened up to it. This can be a genuine good byproduct of, of what we've gone through these recent months.
0: Ah, that, that's a great w- word to end on. I will let everyone know as we're concluding our time together that I'm calling this McEwen Mondays. And to the best of my abilities, I'm going to have you here every Monday of Vintage McCoy, because uh, the Scotsmen will get together and we'll touch on history every Monday. So, Thank you for launching Vintage McCoy. Thank you for your wisdom. But more importantly, thank you for your, your friendship and your love. And thank, thank Liz for us, please, because I know I took you away from some stuff. But we'll see you next Monday, I hope.
1: Well, Rob, let, let me say, I got involved in government. People always ask about why is it that you did that. And and I, I got involved in government for two reasons, because I loved America and I hated communism. At this time, when our nation is at such risk, uh, for you to be so involved salvation and, and restoration. There's nothing I'd rather do, and I'm honored to be a part. Thank you.
0: Ah, oh, you bless me. I love that man. All right, well, I'll see you later, Bob. We'll see you next Monday. Well, come on. Now, that is an amazing guest, Congressman Bob McEwen, And extemporaneously, just sharing these these precious insights and, and the experience that he's had uh, serving six terms in, in the US Congress, three terms in, in the state legislature. He understands these principles, and, and he understands the cost of them. And so when you say, oh, he's just pro-life because that's what conservatives are, but they don't care about children uh, when they're outside the womb, that's not true. Bob McEwen and Liz, have, they've adopted. That, that, that's their entire family, so give that a rest. You, you don't have a voice in regards to that. And, and the same here. My, my wife and I have adopted. My kids are committed to foster parenting. We're, we're making a difference. And this is America, and life matters, and the churches need to understand that if we don't get life right, we're not going to get any of it right. And so if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, let's not forget, folks, the foundation is that moral gift God's given us, that, 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 that moral knowledge. He downloaded it on Mount Sinai. It's time to revisit it, dust off the old books, and commit ourselves to educating our children. These commands are to be placed in our heart, and they're to be taught to our kids, and, and that will restore this nation. So from those moral laws will come civil laws. And we have to get back into it. So folks, roll up your sleeves. Don't be discouraged. It's a wonderful time to be alive. God's got great things in store. So God bless you all. And here's the blessing uh, that we have come to so appreciate every night. It's out of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So we'll see you tomorrow night. God bless y'all. Good night, everybody.